Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Uh, hi, I'm Bill. Uh, each week on Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are members of Al-Anon family groups, and they'll be sh- uh, talking about living with the effects of someone else's alcoholism and how Al-Anon has helped them cope. Um, Sylvia and Celeste, uh, welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. So we usually sort of talk on the program about growing up, what life was like, and how, the, how you were impacted by someone else's drinking. So, um, Sylvia, I'll start with you. What was, what was your first contact with alcoholism or, or problem drinking, as often, people often talk about it, instead of alcoholism? Oh, thanks, Bill. Um, yes, my first contact, I didn't really understand it was a contact with it, but um, I soon grew to understand it was it was with my first uh, in my first marriage to my husband, and um, through Alan on, I was better able to understand exactly how it was impacting on me. Right, and so what was that impact? Um, mostly that I was becoming very bad-tempered about the interactions that I was having with him and I hadn't realised that those interactions broke down mostly after um, he'd been drinking of an evening um, or of a weekend um, because during the day I was out um, but I wouldn't have recognised at the time that probably we reacted quite well during the time that he wasn't drinking, though gradually um, our attitudes towards each other broke down at all times, whether he was drinking or not. Right. So did growing up in, in your family prepare you for life with somebody with a problem? No, certainly not. I didn't understand alcoholism at all. And uh, in fact, um, my childhood... Uh, didn't um, prepare me for very much at all. I believe that my parents were doing the best they could at the time with what they had. But in fact, my parents, um, when my mother was carrying me, um, my parents, I was the third child and um, my parents went through a bushfire and as a consequence that they lost everything and my father found a job elsewhere and so my upbringing was probably them recovering from that and also their attitudes were um, so that uh, I just didn't understand alcoholism at all and I had an upbringing that was um, didn't prepare me for that at all. Yeah, okay. Um so what attracted you to your husband? Um, probably his gregarity, uh, the fun. He also made um, our lives were much more fun than when I'd been growing up. Um, and so I, I uh, just enjoyed his company and he used to take me to different functions, uh, which, you know, football and various other out evening activities 
which at the time I was didn't very often do because my parents didn't really do those sorts of things. So it was quite exciting. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Drinking can be a bit like yeah. that. <laughs> People do unusual things. They're very, very interesting to watch. Um, so how about you, Celeste? What, um, what was your exposure to, um, to drinking? Oh, in my family home, my father was what we call a bender drinker. So through the week, not much would happen. Then Friday, Saturday nights, he'd go to a bowling club and he'd, you know, would have quite a few drinks at that club, come home and their home was very tense. So everyone was walking on eggshells from that moment. So was that all during the week all the time or was that just occasionally? No, that was – so there was no drinking during the week and yep. so the weekends were very difficult. Okay, yep. Um, did that impact your childhood? Yes, definitely. I never brought anyone home, school friends, into the home at all. I would go to their house um, because I didn't want any sort of embarrassment of – what could happen in my home. Yeah. So was your relationship with your parents easy? Um, no. I don't think I really understood my father at all. I think I was afraid of him. My mother was uh, a lot easier. Um, she was quite strict, so whatever she said went. Okay. Um, so did you... A lot of children who grow up in alcoholic situations escape from home. So did you escape from home? Well, I did. I, I had. Uh, I remember one Christmas I had a little bike and so I used to get on that bike and ride for miles to visit other people. And they had roller skates. Well, they never come off my feet the week, you know, on the weekends and that was my escape or the local pool. So I would be out from, you know, early afternoon until you Dawn had to, to come dusk. over. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> It was a good life. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, so did you leave home eventually? I did. My um, The marriage of my parents broke down and my father was um, met another woman and he said to me, well, you know, pack your bags, we're going. And I said, no, I'm not going with you and um, got a flat on my own. So the impact of... Um, that at a very young age. I think I was 18 or 19. Most people have finished school at that age and yeah. there I was living on my own in a flat. Um, so the idea of having to escape that situation um, quite young. Yeah, okay. Um, so in relationships are often difficult if you grow up in an alcoholic home because you don't form close bonds with people. So did you form relationships you know, as you move forward through your 20s? Uh, I did, but I never let people get um, very close. So yeah. I was always very friendly, very nice, very kind, but they never really got close to really knowing the real me. Yeah. So I was always guarded. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a bit of a controller? Um, I probably was. <laughs> you know, I'd have to say that's part of it, um, yeah. that, you know – that is one of the symptoms of growing up in an alcoholic home, that you you can't control the drinking, so you're going to control something else yeah. or some or try to control somebody else. Yeah, okay. Um, so did you come across more alcoholics? 
Yeah, um, that wasn't difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people out there with a drinking problem. And so there was a house and this guy um, happened to move into this house that I was sharing with other people at the time. Didn't realise he was a drinker. Um, didn't I was working and he wasn't. So I wasn't seeing how much drinking was going on through the day. Um, and then one of the other guys in the house had said, I think he's got a problem. And I didn't want this guy that I liked to be an alcoholic or have a drinking problem. And why didn't you want him to be an alcoholic? Oh, I think that was about my ego. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I just thought because at that stage I my identity of someone uh, being an alcoholic was the paper bag, the bottle in the paper bag, um, yep. an absolute bum in the street. I didn't realise there were functioning, high-functioning, highly regarded alcoholics in the community that do a lot of good work. So my image of an alcoholic was very different from what I know today. Yeah, it's, yeah a lot of people are surprised at that, that there's a lot of high-functioning alcoholics and that they probably know an alcoholic or two and they'd go, nah, nah, no chance. But, yeah, a lot of your friends are probably alcoholics. Yeah. Quite good yeah. people. Yeah, excellent people. Just have a drinking problem. Um, so what was your next step then? Once you found out that he was an Or how did you find out he was an alcoholic? Oh, What's that your... was interesting because yeah. one of this, the guys in the house um, said, I think he's got a problem. And I said, oh, no, he couldn't possibly have a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I was young, early 20s, and I just didn't think that I could be, you know, have a guy in my life that was an alcoholic that looked like the brown paper bag type. And... Um, so he said, well, I think he is. And I said, well, I don't think he is. So this went on back and forth and I said, well, I'll fix you. I'll call AA. And I'm grateful for that person. I've never met that person that manded those phones. Mm. But that man said, well, he probably is, but there's something for you. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said it was Al-Anon. And I said, what's that? And he told me what Al-Anon was, it was for friends and families of problem drinkers, alcoholics. And I thought, oh, well, that appealed to me because immediately I thought, well, there's my crusade in life because everyone else was hugging trees and saving whales mm. and I just thought I could save this man. And um, I was sort of very virtuous at the time, but I didn't save him. But I got better and got into Al-Anon. Right, okay. So did that help you in that relationship? Or did you drop the relationship? It was very helpful for me because coming into Al-Anon, I learned what to do and not to do. Yeah. I learned how to look after myself, not provoke any anger because he was violent. He was also a drug addict. So you don't want to be messing with someone who's on drugs and alcohol. Yeah. It's never yeah. a good mix. <clears throat> and it's never a good mix if you're fighting with them. So I was taught, don't react, don't answer back, don't chuck out the alcohol, don't pour it down the sink. So I never did any of those things. I just was quiet. I didn't provoke. I didn't react. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, because you can't change them. No, but I, in my younger 
naive mind, I thought I could. Yeah. You know, I thought I would be virtuous. He would get sober. Everyone would clap me because I got him sober and I'd take the bow. Well, yeah. that never happened. No. <laughs> but I got better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so back to you, Sylvia. So um, you met an alcoholic. So I did, yes. Yeah. I met an alcoholic. And uh, or, or as I like to say, that somebody who's drinking, um, I ch- changed my behaviour because of his drinking. And uh, it was really later on in our relationship, in our marriage, when I began to um, feel affronted by the amount that he was drinking because we had financial problems and uh, I was... Uh, upset about the fact that he was consuming as much as it took to um, for our whole family of five to live <laughs> yeah. and I, I was very angry about that because I was also going out to work to try and um, cover our costs and um, and and that I think was one of the main things that brought me um, to Al-Anon but uh, it was a very devious way of coming to Al-Anon because I had no idea what that was, and I certainly didn't go to it. Um, somebody suggested to me um, that I come t- with her to Al-Anon, and she brought me. Um, but before she brought me to Al-Anon, she made me promise to go to six meetings and to look for the similarities, not the differences, and to keep an open mind, and I did all those things with her. And... Um, I didn't ever believe that he was an alcoholic, but I certainly knew that I had been affected by his drinking, very seriously affected, and that I needed to do some stuff, some work on me and to learn um, as much as I could about alcoholism so that I didn't behave badly towards people who had been affected. Yeah, yeah. people often don't understand that Drinking may not be a problem to the drinker, but it certainly is to the family. Exactly. Well, to some people in the family, because it isn't to say that other members, I don't know how they feel about it, but certainly, um, speaking for myself, I was certainly behaving badly and I wasn't at all proud of my behaviour and they were the things that I learnt from coming to Al-Anon. Yeah. So what sort of things were you doing? Um, Well... Uh, there were certain foods that he didn't like me to cook, like he didn't much like... Well, certainly you don't want to have peas and carrot every night, and so whatever he didn't like, I cooked. Yep. And, um, <laughs> As you uh, do. <laughs> yes, yes, and I would quite um, vigorously try and make his life miserable um, because he was. I felt that he was making my life miserable. The fact that I had a bad attitude hadn't occurred to me until I learnt about that um, when I went to Al-Anon. Yeah. And um, I, I fo- had to learn to focus on the fact that um, uh, it was my attitude that I needed to become the sort of person that I would like another person People, I needed to treat people the same way that I would like to be treated. And um, we were just talking before about the Just For Today card. There's a part in there that said, uh, oh, help me out here, <laughs> Celeste. 
Um, Which part? It's my favourite piece. Yes, yes. I haven't got it in front of me to help me, but certainly that helped me with my behaviours to get across the day and be a better person. Mm. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Yes, Yes, that's right. Those things, yeah. Yeah, I think think the anger plays a large part in just wanting to get back at somebody who you believe is hurting you and your family. Yes. That you want to strike back, and that gives you a lot of guilt. Oh, yes, yes. And I thought... um, that I couldn't possibly to be to blame that uh, that he was all blamable and um, so I said I was angry about the money and uh, the fact that it was costing us so much just for that alcohol and I thought it was wasted money and um, uh, I I still feel that but it's got nothing to do with me and I couldn't I learnt that so many things. Um, had nothing to do with me, and that I shouldn't be making judgments about what another, how another person sh- should be behaving. That that I could be doing a lot better at my <laughs> own behaviour, and to think that I had to change my behaviour. Alanon showed me that to change my, you know, that the only thing I could do was to change my behaviour to make a better life for myself, whether I still live with the alcoholic or not. Yeah, that's right. It's um. Yeah, it's doing, doing, changing what you can. Um, I was going to say, um, so did you feel at home in Ireland? Did you feel that people understood you? Oh, yes. For the first time, I was brave enough to speak. Yeah. Um, I found that a lot of the time, the things that I had, I had so much bitterness and anger inside mm. of me um, that suddenly I was able to say these things if I wished to. And sometimes I needed to within me retract the things that I'd said that were so bitter and horrible, but at least hearing myself say them out Mm. aloud helped me a great deal to heal. And uh, I began to realise that if I changed my attitude and thought positively about things, that I'd have a much better, healthier life and also that people would enjoy being with me. And for the first time, I was hearing laughter. And that was it had been a long time since I'd laughed and since I'd heard other people laughing. And the interesting thing about it was we were all laughing about our own stupid behaviour. We we were, a lot of us were behaving badly and we would, had that attention drawn to those things and how we could make our lives a lot better. Yeah, so, yeah a lot easier, that's right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so did you talk to your husband about his drinking after he got into Al-Anon? Um, yes, but I wasn't very skilled at that. And um, so I'm sure that at some point I called him an alcoholic. Um, I was certainly told later that I had said that he was an alcoholic. And I'm sure in my mind I believed that he was. But, of course, that's not for me to say. It's only for him to say or for a doctor. And I don't still today don't have any of that information. And that's why I always say for anybody who is affected by somebody else's drinking. It's my business. Um, If I am affected, then I can do something about living a better life. And that's helped me a great deal. Thank you. Uh, Well, listen, we're up to a break. Um, So I've got a song called um, Girls and Guitars by Wayona Judd from 1993. Something 
What's up, listeners? This is Johnny Mac here. Just reminding everybody to tune in to 3CR at 11am each day from Monday, July the 8th to Friday, July the 12th for our special Beyond the Bars broadcast during NADOC. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. So make sure to listen in and support our brothers and sisters until they're home again. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Ah, welcome back. Um... You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've nearly 90 episodes of the show available as podcasts. They've been downloaded over 31,000 times, um, and they're available on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree. So you can check them out there. 
If you want to send us a message or contact us, you can call 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us on 3 Free at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at 3CRLivingFree. Uh, I'm talking with Sylvia and Celeste, and we're talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. Um, So I'll I'll start with you, Celeste. Um, So you found out that Al-Anon was available. You went and realised that it was better not to make waves in life. So did you keep coming to Al-Anon? I did, and at that stage I was going for this... um I was going to meetings to try and get the alcoholic sober. Um, and he never got sober. Surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> oh, so oh. my crusade days were over. So I left Alan on thinking, oh, well, I was only there for him anyway. And I didn't go off and save the whales either. I so just, you didn't even think about your dad? No, I didn't realise yeah. okay. until I came back into Al-Anon the yeah. second time. I'd moved overseas and became very isolated and quite miserable and quite sad and disillusioned. And, you know, I, you know, all the type of attitudes um, that you could have were were coming up fast and furious. In fact, just coming down to this um, studio here, down the corridor, there's a, a sign and it says the only discipli- disability is a disability of attitudes. Yeah. And my, I just read that sign and I thought, oh, yeah, my attitude was so off. So one day I was thinking, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? You know, you're so unhappy, you're so miserable, you're so aggressive, you're so whatever I was it. And I sort of sat down and thought, what was I doing who was I with when I was feeling happy about myself? And I thought for a while, and it came up, I was going to Al-Anon meetings, and I felt at home, I felt accepted, and I thought, oh, my God, I've got to get back into Al-Anon. So I found meetings overseas, which were in English. I was living in a foreign country, uh, and... It was only when I came back in town on that second time I realised what I was growing up with, with my father's drinking. Right. And I went, oh. And how you can see someone else is drinking, but what I didn't see was the effects on me. I didn't see how their drinking was affecting me. So I learned how it was affecting me. And then I went, for the real crusade, which was getting my life save yourself better and saving myself. The whales, yeah, we yeah. need to save the whales. But I needed to save myself. So I got into program and, uh, you know, just really understood the family disease of alcoholism. I mean, I look now at my mother who's passed on, but I think the things that she put up with, the unacceptable behaviour that she put up with, and I don't think I can stress enough the effects it has on other family members, children, wives, partners, um, 
it is it is quite substantial the effects of someone else's drinking. Yeah. So what sort of things were you doing that you realised when you, once you got into Al-Anon? What sort of you know thinking and behaviours were you doing that that you were trying you're now aware of? Well, as I said, I just was quite miserable. Um, I wasn't doing a lot. I was just existing. So you know, it's not really a way to live a life just to exist. So I'd lost my self-esteem, I'd lost my confidence, I didn't know what I liked. Um, if someone, I couldn't even order off a menu. Uh, I'd say, they'd say, what are you having? And i say, whatever you're having. Yeah. Um, if they say, would you like a coffee? I'd say, yeah, they'd say, what? And I'd say, whatever you're having. Yeah. <laughs> so it got pretty bad to know, you know, you couldn't even order your own coffee. It's yeah. pretty bad, really. <laughs> You ask me today and I can tell you what I want, exactly what I want. So did you find you were becoming very critical of others? Always. Um, And I think that is part of this effect of the um, alcohol on someone else's drinking on your behaviour is it's a very outward thing. So rather than looking at myself and what I was doing and my shortcomings – I could very easily pick them up (laughs) in other people and tell you how to correct it. You should do. You'd be better off doing X, Y, Z. I do this, so therefore you should be doing it. Um, That's not a really nice way to be, really. It's obsession, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Did you also find you were a bit anxious that you couldn't do things on your own? Was that a – were you fearful of, of life? Uh, to a degree, but I think I had enough, um, what can I say, enough oomph to just do it. But more of that was sort of getting getting by on the ego rather than the actual confident you can do this. It was more like do it, you know, eat, yeah, do yeah, it, rather yeah. than you can do this and you're confident to do this and you're fine. It would always have to be this inner battle to do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, back to you, Sylvia. Um, so, you you came to Alan, and so did that change the marriage, um, or did the marriage change? <laughs> uh, the marriage changed. My um, husband was pretty incensed that I'd come to Alanon because um, he didn't believe that he had a problem and that it was labelling him and. Um, Pretty soon the marriage broke down, um, but probably from other issues as well. But, um, yes, it certainly didn't help the marriage at all. And uh, But uh, I, by this stage I'd realised that it was not healthy for me anyway, so I just accepted the fact that he was no longer wanting to be in that marriage and though I was devastated by it, um, I just accepted it. It was also liberating, I understand. It was extremely liberating as it turned out. Um, It took me a while to gather that, but um, I began to travel and um, that helped me focus on uh, the similarities of other situations because I'd taken it very, very personally as though he was the only person in the world the only that ever did yeah. this. Yeah. 
And um, suddenly, by hearing the stories of other um, Al-Anon members, I could see that um, it was just something that happens. You know, that phenomena of drinking that the alcoholic has, it's got nothing to do with me and that they can... um, they have to take care. I learned so much about their problem, and I had began to have empathy for where alcoholics were. I was no longer frightened. That's what um, I got a sponsor very early on, and um, she, in, when she heard how frightened I was of alcoholics, um, she took me to AA meetings until I stopped um, having that fear, and I began to. Uh, appreciate uh, the fact that they were quite nice people um, that they you know th- that just was had their a drinking business, problem yeah. that just yeah. had a drinking yeah. problem and so then I began to respect also the father of my children and and um, just get on with my changing my behavior um, I had such an evil attitude towards um, him in particular at that point uh, until I began to change that. And one of the things my sponsor said was to go um, to return to the... because I had lost my faith. And so she suggested that I go back to the faith of my childhood, which I had um, attended a faith. And um, I loved it because I loved singing and... What I liked about the singing was all the time that I was singing, I was hearing positive words, um, th- words that I wasn't thinking um, mm. because my thoughts yeah. by that stage, every thought I had was a negative, nasty, um, vicious thought. Mm. Uh, and my whole brain matter had changed to a great deal of evil and not very happy at all with who I'd become so to go to church and I she said to fake it until um, I could really believe it and so a lot of the time that I went initially to my church um, I was faking that um, I had an understanding of that faith but the hymns I really loved and uh, but eventually of course um, it really gets you and so my faith has returned tenfold now which is really excellent. Yeah. So you travelled for a long while. So what was it like travelling? Did you go to Al-Anon while you were travelling? Oh, yes. Um, my sponsor, I had no idea what I was doing when I started to travel. <laughs> I, I hadn't done any homework at all, but I'd become homeless because our marriage broke down. So rather than rush out and get something, I um, began to travel and I was away for eight months travelling overseas and uh, my sponsor said to me do what you do at home do it while you're travelling so I'd find a youth hostel and I'd dovetail it with it wherever there was a meeting and I'd go to the meeting and I was finding more and more that um, these stories that I heard were very similar to my own and um, that very common I imagine very common and instead of um, feeling that I was um, in a bad place because of one person's behaviour, I realised that, you know, however anybody behaved, I had to conduct my own life without being affected by somebody else's behaviour, and that helped me a great deal. Yeah, it's it's the respond rather than react, I think, is the issue there. Yes, and I did learn to pause, and that's one of the big things that I've learnt. Yeah. Celeste, so coming back into Alon, did that change your relationships with people? Oh, most definitely. Uh, I had 
stopped giving, you know, giving myself the task of saving people. Yeah. <laughs> That's their task. Big saving, yeah. So, I, you know, I, the rescue job was over. I was unemployed on the rescue people pleasing yeah. um, title that I gave myself. So I wasn't doing that. And then, so then the real challenge came in getting to know myself, what I liked, what I needed, not what I wanted, what was. What was my needs? What was my inner need? And so over time, um, I'd hear these Americans say, oh, I'm really good at this and I really like that. And I think, oh, my God, what am I good at and what do I really like? Um, I don't think I'm particularly good at anything even today, but I'll have a go. But yeah. what I know what I like. So I like going to anything live theatre. I like walking on the beach. I like animals. Um, I like being with people now. Um, I enjoy my own company now. Um, I no longer have that escape. You know, I can sit at home, be with myself and feel quite comfortable for most of the time. Um, I learned I could relax. Uh, things slowed down. I, I, tend to, I still tend to do this. So there is some tendencies that still need to be tweaking, but do everything in a bit of a hurry or... You know, finish the task even though you're exhausted. This is all part of yeah. <laughs> part of you know the part upbringing. Of yeah. um, but I know that you know it's optional now. It's yeah. optional. Yeah. So uh, you know, and I don't put myself with people or in situations that I feel uncomfortable at all. You know now, um, and. You know, if I see someone who I feel might be suffering from the disease, the family disease of alcoholism, I'll quite often say to them, have you heard of Al-Anon? Yeah. Rather than saying, I go to Al-Anon, you should too, because they probably look at me and think, well, you better keep going, (laughs) Uh, which I will. Um, So there is that carrying the message because it's horrendously crippling, this Mm. disease of the family disease of alcoholism is so crippling. But when you get into meetings and start going, life changes, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I remember my first meeting um, in Australia and, you know, I was young, uh, early 20s, and, and miserable and wanting to save this man and it was at the back of a tiny building and um, the women there were, very, they were older than me and, but they were happy. They were extremely happy. They were laughing. They were, looked, you know, they looked, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. But anyway, these women were laughing. They were well-dressed. They weren't, um, I don't know, they just looked like they were extremely happy, sincerely mm. happy. And from that first meeting, I was hooked. I wanted what they had and they were happy. And that's all I wanted at that stage. Later on, I wanted different things. But at that stage, I wanted that. And I can remember being with the alcoholic one night and we were in a pub. Well, where else would you be on a Saturday night Mm. with an alcoholic? So we're in this pub. And I wasn't particularly happy and I, we were standing near these other people and they were laughing and having a good time, probably had a few drinks, so they were laughing and having a good time. 
I caught my reflection in a window and I was unhappy, not laughing, and I thought, my God, I want my happiness back. Yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. attractive, isn't it? Once you once you see yourself in the mirror, yeah, see yourself as you really are. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was yes. quite frightening. <laughs> okay, well, we've got another um, song. Um, this one's uh, by Lucinda Williams from 1990. It's called Lafayette. Oh, my sweet Lafayette, how I'm gonna miss you, you feel so good, Lafayette, now I've come to greet you, tell all my friends I've come back again, I couldn't stay away, I was gone only a day, but I'm coming back. My dance until three And I gotta get back To my sweet
Hey, you, you who are listening, we haven't reached our target yet, but you can help us out. Log into our website, 3cr.org.au, or call us on 94198377 and give us some support. Help us keep running this radio for another year. We need you. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm chatting with Sylvie and Celeste and we're talking about alcoholism, the family and how Alan and family groups can help. So Sylvia, you're travelling in the UK, you came back and then you got remarried. I did. I met an Englishman and he travelled to visit me and then I travelled to visit him and I finished up staying there and two years later I married. Um, And that was very exciting because I learned to trust again and also he was a pilot and I learned to fly. Wow. (laughs) I know because I used to take air sickness tablets and I used to do the white knuckle ride. So to become a glider pilot and to... Um, eventually go solo and then to uh, go for my Silver Sea, which uh, it was a gradual thing to get that, um, and five hours in the air on your own is one of the things that you're required to do, and twice I tried to get that. I never actually quite got it, got it but to envisage myself yeah. when I first Capable. came into Al-Anon yeah. of flying in the air the greatest of ease, um, and I was over Germany at one of the times, and to be in a foreign country flying was really exceptional. Yeah. And so uh, I learnt trust issues in Al-Anon as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you, you found that he'd, he'd had an alcoholism connection himself? Yes, he'd, his wife um, had, a, had a drinking problem, and uh, he hadn't realised that there was help out there for him, even though she didn't get help. Uh, When she died, um, I met him and um, it had, I believe, had affected their family as well. Um, And it was interesting for me and, and wonderful to watch that family coming together again. Um, and although they didn't have Alan on, as the person connected with them, I was able to um, be a support to them as gradually they came back together again. And um, yes, and I'm still extremely good friends um, with uh, his um, children uh, because he died 
15 years ago. Okay. And uh, so, uh, but uh, it was a very happy marriage that lasted for 10, almost 10 years and 12 years that we were together. Right, okay. Um, so what do you think about sort of the relationships? How, how did Alan help you with that sort of relationship with those kids? Well, um, with the children, um, it just helped me understand where they were coming from when there was a bit of doubt uh, between the relationships and I was able to say to my husband at one stage, his son had rung up and he, uh, they didn't have much of a connection and he had um, finished the telephone call fairly early and I said to him with a smile that... Um, did he have anything pressing to go to? Why had he finished the conversation so quickly that if his son, who was an adult in his 40s, was wanting to speak to him so badly that he'd rung up because he didn't very often ring up, why wasn't he still listening on the phone? So the next time his son rang, um, he listened for ages and uh, and certainly didn't break off the conversation. And gradually they got to know each other and the relationship. Um, I could watch them then when they were together as well, physically together, that they were much happier together to just talk and get to know each other because I believe from my own association with um, alcoholics that um, sometimes uh, there isn't the opportunity for the other members of the family to connect well um, due to the um, some of the things that are being said and done within mm. the family when there's an alcoholic present. Yeah. And so that alcoholic no longer existed, so then they began to come together again. Yeah, that's right. Um, Celeste, I'll talk to you because we're talking before about being a bit critical of other people and stuff like that. And and I think it comes from the what I call black and white thinking. So do you want to talk about how that affects relationships? Oh, yes, that one. Uh, that's an interesting one. So um, in my partnership now, I say when I'm in the kitchen, I'm in the kitchen. When you're in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen. So I'm not no longer saying do it my way or or having him trying to make me do it his way. So there is uh, an understanding now with most people um, and I hope for most days I do have more grey area. And I believe that that why that black and white thinking comes in is basically more out of fear that when you know from one extreme to the other it's going to be a certain way. For me, prior to Al-Anon, I used to feel safe because it was going to be a certain way and I could, or I thought I could predict that way. Control, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Control it if you mm. could, yeah. Yeah. Control the outcome. Control yeah. the outcome, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes, it's very deceptive. Um, so now things are different, though, with you. Yes. And so with relationships, are you more able to accept people as they are? I think the thing is I accept myself more as I am yep. and that in turn helps me accept people are the way they are. And now I often say people are people. And you were referring to something before about when Sylvia was talking about um, 
reacting when you have been hurt. And I often say now, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. So it unless it's cut and caught in the bud, that behaviour can go on for generations. Yeah. Because it, it really is learned behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's part of the disease of alcoholism is the progression of that behaviour from generation to generation. It's Absolutely, and yeah. I never would have thought that. I, I just thought it was you know someone being bad-tempered or moody or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. becomes obvious when you look at yourself, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so how about you, Sylvia? Are you a lot more relaxed with life? Oh, much calmer. Yes, and I can see things that um, are around me from time to time that really are quite um, unacceptable or a different way of doing things that I feel are not going to lead to um, good outcomes, but I can let it go and know that I'm not in control here, that there's somebody else um, that if it's between a child and a mother, that they may know a different way to what the way I would do a thing. And I know for sure that there have been times when I've been, you know, in retrospect, when I watch the growth of that child according to that, how that mother has organised things, that the outcome has been perfectly all right mm. in spite <clears throat> of the concerns that I've had. And I think that's been one of the biggest eye-openers that... As a grandparent, sometimes I can view things and think I know the, the way I would have done it, but my way wasn't necessarily going to be the right way for a child these days um, to be doing things. And that's been through Al-Anon that I've learned to keep my hands off and my mouth shut, yeah. and that's been so helpful. Do you think it relates to anxiety, that you're fearful for them? Oh, definitely, yes. You want the best outcome for people that you love and care about, but um, we don't necessarily know um, what is the best outcome. No. No. We we often impose on others, Mm. (laughs) but we don't know, yes. Um, So with with you, Celeste, just for today, you do things differently today. So what are some of those things? Oh, my day is very different now. Um, because I know myself and what I like, uh, I'm able to get up. You know, I have a routine. I like my routine. Um, prior to Alan, I wouldn't even rec- eat breakfast. I'd just, you know, be on some sort of adrenaline and get everything done. Um, that, I think, is another form of anxiety. Now I get up, you know, have breakfast, take time for myself. Um, I do read the Al-Anon literature, which sets me up for the day. Um, one of those little things is uh, a little card, and it's called Just for Today. And just for today, I can be happy. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln, and just for today, most folks, folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And I think that's true. So I feel now I have the power to, or the choice to either be miserable or be happy. And I actually prefer to be happy. And I think most people around me prefer me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So how about you, Sylvia? What what sort of things would you say to somebody who's contemplating Al-Anon? 
if they can go and keep an open mind, look for the similarities but not the differences, um, to seek a sponsor as soon as they can and, of course, they can change a sponsor at any time or have two. I have one in England currently and one here in Australia and if I can't get hold of either of those, um, then there are always other members that I can relate to um, to get a phone number. Um, and to be sure to go to six meetings before they make um, their mind up as to whether or not they need to keep going. Um, and also to be very open-minded about the particular meeting. They try and find a home meeting that they want to go to all the time. But if they're not happy with the one that's most convenient to them then to choose other meetings and keep going until they relate to one of the meetings um, because meetings do change. They differ from one meeting to another. So, yes, keep an open mind and look for the similarities, not the differences, because I never, ever believed I'd still be going to Al-Anon. No, <laughs> no, it's a while, isn't it? Yeah. No, okay. I wasn't going to go. I was just going to go and please my friend and make sure that she was happy and then I was definitely going to be out of there. I had so many other things that I wanted to be doing and definitely not to be going to meetings. But yeah. when I went to meetings, the laughter and the, the joy that came back into my life was just unbelievable. Yeah, that's good. Uh, if anybody out there would like to find out more about Alan Family Groups, uh, you can phone them on 1300 252 or you can go online at alanon.org.au. Um, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Sylvia and Celeste for coming in today and sharing their Alan Family Group's recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thank, thanks, Bill. Uh, next week's NADOC Week 2019 and the Living Free Show will be having a break as 3CR presents Beyond the Bars 2019, which is Australia's only live prison radio broadcast giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island inmates. inmates. So from Monday the 8th, through to Friday the 12th of July, we bring you the voices of men and women on the inside of six prisons around Victoria. So if you're listening next Thursday, the 11th of July, between 11am and 2pm, you can hear Beyond the Bars as it visits Port Phillip Prison in Laverton. So, you know, please do that. Um, we've got um, a show for Black Noise Radio queued up. Uh, Carolee's not in today, but I'll set that off in a minute or so. Um, and you can hear um, black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, so thanks for listening to Living Free.